Welcome to another episode of Latinos Who Thrive. I am your host, Victor Escalante. Our show is about celebrating the success of Latinos in America. We talk to entrepreneurs, business leaders, artists, athletes, and more about their journey to success. We'll also discuss the challenges they faced and the lessons they've learned along the way. Our goal is to inspire you to achieve your own dreams and goals. We believe that Latinos are a powerful force for good in the world, and we want to help you thrive in every aspect of your life. So whether you're just starting out or you are already on your way to success, we hope that you join us on this journey. We're excited to share the stories of Latinos who are thriving and to help you find your own path of success. In each episode, we discuss the guest's background and journey to success, the challenge they faced and the lessons they've learned, their advice for others who are striving to achieve their dreams. We hope that you join us in this journey to help you learn from the best and brightest Latinos in America. This week, we have special guest Liz Young. Liz is a licensed psychotherapist who has been in practice for over three decades. She has literally seen everything. And featuring May as the month of mental health, we decided to bring her back because her episode was the all-time high downloaded episode. And we may have regular mental health experts to help you with whatever challenges that you're going through. So let's get on with it. And now we have Liz Young with us. Welcome, Liz. Victor, I'm happy to be here today. I'm so excited about this meeting. Yes, you are to date the most popular guest ever that we've had with the greatest number of downloads. And I'm sure that it's no wonder because you really touched the nerve with the audience when it comes to psychotherapy for Latinos, and that is why I invited you to come speak to us today, because uh, May is the month of mental health, and for Latinos, this is a topic, this is a conversation that we need to have. Okay, I agree. So tell us, right out of the gate, what are some of the unique cultural factors that impact the mental health of Latinos? Number one is that a Latino would hesitate to go to therapy because if they did, they would be judging themselves about, man, I'm really if you upped up, but crazy. Um, and I have such a weakness. My God, I can't take care of this myself. And I don't have any balls for some guys maybe, but for the women, they'd be like, oh man, I'm so dependent. I'm so weak. And the other one would be shame. They would feel embarrassed that they have to take their problems to um, a therapist, a stranger. Oh, and that's another one. Talking to a stranger. Oh, boy. Yes. They don't like that. They don't like that at all. So where is that coming from, Liz? The idea about not wanting to open up to a stranger? Yeah. I think it's also cultural. Um, you should be able to handle your problems and talk to your mother or talk to your sister or talk to your somebody in your family about this. You, should, you shouldn't have to go to a stranger to talk to you issues. Oh, and also, you know what else? Uh, keep our problems. Keep what's going on in our family to ourselves. Don't air your dirty laundry. Don't air your dirty laundry. Yes. Exactly. Especially not to somebody that doesn't know the family and all the dynamics of the family. How could they possibly help you? Correct. Sometimes people turn to priests or to ministers. Uh, talk about that, Liz. How can that well, be good? How can that be limiting? Well, the thing about 
about the priests, I think, okay? And that is that the priests are more likely to say stuff to you like, oh, because you just need to forgive your parents because, you know, they were they were imperfect beings and they they had their own um, issues and traumas. And But, you know, Victor, that that doesn't always work. The idea about, you know, having to dishonor thy father and thy mother, it doesn't always cut it. Because sometimes these mothers and fathers, they were extremely toxic, you know, and, and, and I don't think that it's an excuse for them to continue that toxicity through the generations. I have a client that she allowed her daughter to be sexually abused by her stepfather. And, and her excuse was, well, I was sexually abused as well. Yes. Is that a good reason to allow that? No. I understand. So my general advice to people is to do whatever works for you. But if you've tried going to your minister, if you tried going to your priest, and you still feel that you need professional help, by all means, don't hold back. So yes. some people have been positively helped uh, by going to a minister or a priest. I was recently talking to a family that they were able to overcome and save their marriage when the priest told the wife, you just have to forgive him for all of his mistakes that he's made uh, for you or with you. And that seemed to work for her. Now, the exception here is that they were like in their 60s. Liz. Oh, they were older. Okay, They were older. That typical advice would not work with a young couple that they're just starting out. And, and maybe if there was infidelity, it's like, that's not yeah. going to cut it. Okay. No, not at all. If the woman is deeply hurt, deeply feeling betrayed, you need professional help for a situation like that. Yeah, because basically what he's telling her is just suck it up. Exactly. And that's not a fair thing to tell a person that they shouldn't have to be able to to keep putting up with that kind of behavior because a lot of times, like that infidelity, you, you forgive them once and then they come back and they do it again. Right. You don't want to enable further abuse. Exactly. All right. Mm -hmm. So let's go on to the next question. How can mental health providers better understand and address the specific needs and challenges faced by the Latino community? I think that one of the things I I touched on it earlier was the idea about, you know, not necessarily wanting to share your dirty laundry. And so what would a typical Hispanic girl or woman or or maybe even a a guy, because if he's close to his mom, what would they do? they would likely go and talk to either their father or their mother, right? And the thing about that is that in the case of the mothers, the mothers have a different perspective on life and how their role as a as a wife than our generation. So like, for example, the mothers, they can't necessarily relate to what we're going through. And why is that? Because the most of the mothers in the in the old times, they were like homemakers and they took care of the children and they were very dependent on their husbands. And the modern woman, is more likely to be working as well. You know, she's not just being a homemaker. On top of being a homemaker, she's also being, you know, the the taxi cab driver, the Uber driver to the kids, to all their soccer teams and all that stuff. And then she's also she's also trying to be the homemaker where she cooks and cleans and and you know does all that stuff. And it's overwhelming. I think that uh that just the the mothers just don't understand that they don't get it. And I will say one thing about the Hispanic community. You know, a lot of the moms, what they'll try to do, these other older moms, they'll try to help the daughter by either making foods for them and letting them take their food with them once they get to the house to pick them or they'll pick up the kids for them. 
because of the closeness of our of our family culture, I think that we do try to help each other a whole lot more in that respect. Um, you know, maybe even a sister going and picking up your kids from after school when she's if she's not working, if she happens to be lucky enough not to work. And I say lucky enough because today it's not a choice about going to work and being a, a professional. It, it's a must. In order for a family to survive nowadays, you have to have two incomes. Yes. What percentage of uh, Latino patients do you treat? I, I have a very I have a very high percentage, Victor. I would probably say, I would venture to say, well, you know, different times, different things, right? But for the most part, mine is probably about 90, 90 to 95 percent. It's okay. Latino. Very high. Yeah. It is. It and is. you've been doing this for over three decades. So you are an expert, uh, subject matter expert, when it comes to uh, treating the Latino community. Your comment, for some reason, triggered a thought in me. What about people? They want to come out as being gay, and they can't go to their parent. They're full of emotions, conflicted emotions, and coming out, and they don't know who to turn to. What about going to therapy to help them understand their feelings and to empower them to either decide or decide not to decide to come out? Talk about that. Well, you know, the irony of that is that a lot of times the parents, they already know, Victor. Yes. You know, they already know. Like, let's say it's a girl and, you know, she's always dressed kind of uh, masculine. They already know covering their eyes. They're trying to cover their eyes, you know. Part of this is because of our religion, too, uh, aspect of it. And that is that, okay, that, you know, if you read the Bible and you're studying, it says, you know, what, it, what the Bible says, right? So person has a lot of conflict within themselves about what they've been taught biblically. But it's also about society and the fear that is in place that is placed upon them that if you come out, you know, you're likely to be abused by society. Uh, people don't take well to two girls walking down the street holding hands or two guys walking down the street holding hands or whatever, especially in the Latino community. I mean, it's getting better. Get me wrong. It's getting a lot better than what it was back in the 70s. That's for sure. But the idea is still there that I think they've got fear on both on both sides. Fear of coming out because of what their parents may or may not think about them. And then they've got the fear of what if I do come out and then society doesn't accept me. So they've got a lot of fears. So by going to therapy, I think they have an opportunity to open up and talk about those fears. And then from there, you know, maybe get empowered to do both, to come out to their family, to come out to society. So the therapy is going to help empower them. Bottom line. Okay. Yes. I once had a daughter of one of my clients, female client, the, she came to me uh, because she felt safe to let me know that she wanted to let her mother know that she was gay. And that's right what you said, that the mother suspected it, but because they were so traditional, it was taboo to just discuss that topic. So what I proposed to the daughter is, I will be your advocate to explain to your mother the things that she may not understand. And that's what happened is we set up a session. The girl, she was like in her mid-20s, came in oh, wow. and the mom, they came together and then uh, provided the safe space for the daughter to tell the mom. Mm -hmm. And she was surprised that the mom was non-judgmental. So I was able to explain to the mom that in her case, uh, it was probably genetics. And I've recently uh, heard a podcast from a researcher. It was fascinating 
Now the science, the data shows the likelihood of a person becoming genetically opposite of their gender, uh, meaning that if you're born as a man and you have proclivities to being gay, to being feminine, it's due to the birth order. Get this. It's like if you are like the third or fourth or fifth child, what happens, we now have the science that shows that because you have the chromosomes that are opposite the mom, the immune system of the mom is trying to kill chromosome that is the opposite. Wow. And so that is one of the reasons that researchers now believe that we have such a large percentage of identity conflicts within individuals that is genetically tied your birth order. I, I just find that fascinating. And also that, well, yeah, and you're, and that you're born that way. Correct. You feel from the beginning, you're born that way. Yeah. I heard that theory before, but I haven't heard the one about the birth order. That's yeah, the only one. Absolutely. I, which makes sense too. It makes sense. And it's you know, the, the suffering Latina mom would blame herself. <laughs> if, if, Most likely, yes. If the children yes. are not perfect, if the children are not perfect, according to society and the community, they're going to blame themselves for everything. Yeah, but that's not a that's not a fair thing to do. But yeah, I hear you. Oh, yeah, that's part of I think that's also part of our culture. <laughs> sure. So let me ask you this question. Do having conflicting, strong, conflicting feelings create mental health issues for a person? Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah, there's no doubt about that. Talk about that. Yeah. Let me give you a perfect example. Okay. How about the one we had said before about the idea that you want to love your mother, right? Because I mean, yes. that's the right thing to do. She's your mother. But on the other hand, if your mother betrayed you by not protecting you as a child whether you're a man or you're a woman because believe me the statistics are out there that there's a lot of men that have also been sexually abused it's not just about women it's men too right that's right so you have this conflict within you that it's like i love my mother but i hate my mother and how do you deal with something like that how do you how do you cope with that because on the one hand you want to wonderful and loving and you know take your mother out and buy her plant or roses or something a gift but on the other hand, there's this part of you that's like, yeah, yeah, but, you know, look at all the, the ways, look at how messed up I am based on what you, your failure to protect me. And this is what I'm going through right with on when I'm suffering right now because you failed to protect me. So there's a lot of conflict there. And yeah, it could drive a person to feel like they're, uh, what is it, fragmented, right? It's fragmentation. Yes. Yeah. Yes, sure. And deep fragmentation is what leads to dissociative disorders. In the old days, it used to be called multiple personalities. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people do that too. Yes. All yeah. right. Especially, uh, especially people who have had abuse, they dissociate. Correct. What are some of the most common mental health issues that you see among Latino clients? Uh, I see a lot of anxiety and of course, uh, depression. On the anxiety, um, it has to do, in my opinion, with the idea that we have certain expectations and obligations. And when we're not able to meet those, uh, it causes us to feel stressed out. And the anxiety also comes a lot from the PTSD that we've gone through, whether in an abusive childhood, you know, whether it could just be physical, mental, whatever. But it's the PTSD that we have that keeps us on high alert, um, hypervigilant all the time, right? Yes. So it's so for hard. people that don't understand what PTSD is, why don't you go ahead oh, and tell us? 
because oh, some people so, may not know what it means. Well, basically a post-traumatic stress disorder has to do with some really deep-seated trauma that happened to you either in your childhood or as an adult. And, and it's not necessarily sexual. It could be, like I said, just verbal. It could be, you know, as far as men, it could be something that happened to them during when they were in the military. So trauma. It can also be trauma. physical. Yes. From a beating, yeah, beating, beating, yeah. beating as, as a child. Yes. Go yes. ahead. Emotional, physical. Yeah. Yeah. Sexual. All of those things. So, yeah, that's that's what the, the bottom line. I'm simplifying it. But, yeah, that's what PTSD is. And the science suggests that if you suffer from PTSD, unless you seek professional help, you're destined to suffer the rest of your life because it's so deeply ingrained in your brain. This is now a organic disorder that is happening in your brain because your nervous system is always on hyper alert, thinking that somehow you're facing danger when there's danger no danger. All the time. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, that that fits into the next part of it which is uh, when you have that, you have that feeling of being depression that comes with it, that feels out of control, hopeless, helpless, you know, uh, not being able to stand up on, stand on your own two feet. You feel always dependent on somebody else to help you. All, all of those things play a part in, in that same cycle. Let and it's ask- generational. The worst part of it yeah. is that it's generational. So much of what I've seen when I ask clients about their their anxiety or even their depression, I, I always get a deep family history, like I told you. And one of the things I find out is that their parents had anxiety. And yes. of course, so part of it is a learned behavior, but the art of the other part of it is it's more like that idea about it's been ingrained in their DNA, like sure. you said. Yes, mm-hmm. sure. And the data, the science proves that because your nervous system was being programmed in the womb. And whatever your mother felt, you were feeling it right along and the memory is being passed on to you. Yeah. Yeah. I can, can I say something personal? I always felt unloved and unlovable and I couldn't figure out why I felt that deep seated feeling. And so I started talking to my mom about her pregnancy. And it turns out that during my mom's pregnancy, my dad was being a a mujeriego. He was being over there sexually unfaithful. I mean, he was always, but more so during that time. And so my mother was feeling all those things. And so that's where I started feeling all those things. And so in the womb, I was feeling it, you know? Sure. And that's passed on. So uh-huh. uh, so even if if you don't have any issues that you can put your finger on, that was, you were born with issues from exactly. being in the womb. And I couldn't ever figure out, why do I feel this way? Why, why, why? And finally, uh, I went to a workshop and that's when I found out about it. Yeah. And and that in that workshop, it was very interesting too, Victor. I don't know if you knew this. This is where this thing comes in about uh, playing music for the baby and all that stuff. Yes. It turns out that anything that the mom is doing, if she's reading, if she's uh, listening to music, that those parts of her brain are being stimulated, right? And the, those parts of the baby's brain are being stimulated. So as the mother's eyes are going left to right, left to right, the baby's eyes are going left to right, left to right. Interesting. Yeah, Isn't because it? you have that that connection. You have that that neural connection mm-hmm. to where uh, your child is an extension of your body. Yeah, that was it. Uh, on the depression part, there was another part that I wanted to to focus on. Okay, and that is that as women, a lot of times, you know, and I was telling you about the generational stuff. So if a woman winds up feeling low self esteem, and you know she doesn't have confidence in herself and stuff like that, and she doesn't see her value in herself. That's where she's more likely to not excel in thinking 
yeah, I can go to community college, uh, you know, or, or, and they get stuck in a low paying job or a menial paying job, kicks in more of the uh, feelings of, you know, I'm not worth as much as my sister who maybe went to college or something. And she has a nice house and a swimming pool and nice car or whatever. So there's a lot of unfulfilled dreams and disillusionment about life. And how can that create mental health issues for the person? Because if they feel always in the victim mode, yes, they're going to be severely depressed. And sometimes they have that dichot- that dual feeling of there's a part of them, maybe the that wants to do better, but then this other part of them that doesn't seem to be able to get out of that rut. So help, hopelessness, helplessness. Yes. Learned I once had a, you made me think of a case that I had uh, right there in El Paso where a lady came to me, she was referred to me and she was deeply sad because she didn't marry her sweetheart that she was madly in love with because her family didn't want her to marry him. Instead, she married someone for stability that had money that uh, that may have had a business, and it turned out to be in her mind with uh, 2020 hindsight a bad decision because she was never happy. She never loved him, and she was just deeply sad all the time, and she yeah. needed to resolve that inner conflict. Yeah, and then when you go when you go so long with a person, you know. Like, let's say that she went went to therapy when she was already 40. I'm sure she came to that place of a dilemma of, do I stay? Because exactly. I've already invested, you know, 20 exactly. years or whatever. Or do I get out and take a risk that I will be able to be okay on my own? Exactly. So yeah. a lot of uh, these conundrums, these double binds to where you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't, yeah. it takes professional help for you to open up and sort things out. And, and sometimes the person comes to their own conclusions, just hearing themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Journaling. That's where yeah. journaling comes in. Exactly. Yeah. You journal mm-hmm. the strategies. Yeah. Well, it's fun. It's interesting. Huh? Cause yeah, the strategy, one of the strategies would be if you can't like as a Latino, if you can't, or you don't, or you don't have the money or the resources or the time, whatever it is to uh, go to therapy, then your other options would be, you know, to, to do a, a journal and maybe I, I always, I'm a big one when it, when it comes to bibliotherapy, I'm always recommending books. I'm always telling people about books to read. Now you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. Right. So right. a lot of times the people, they won't read the book or they, they give me excuses. Oh, I, I didn't have the money to buy the book or whatever. Sometimes I even give away the books. Like the one that I've given the most away is codependent no more. That okay. is, I, I go to the used bookstores and I pick up all the used books that I can on that one because I can get them for like $2 or whatever. And that doesn't hurt my pocket so much to hand it out to the person. Yes. But again, that doesn't mean, just because they have it in their hand doesn't mean they're going to read it either. But the bibliotherapy is a, is a big one. The other one that I always, you know, hone in on is communication skills, right? Um, being able to express themselves because a lot of times we have a, our voices shut down. We don't have a voice to say a lot of the things that we would like to be able to say. It's like we don't have that, that ability to do that. And then I talk to them about um, assertiveness. It's part of the communication, but it's about assertiveness and setting I want to piggyback on what you just said, because uh, I've had a lot of clients over the years with the same issues. And you know what I've uh, told them to do is to write a letter. And that letter 
it's up to you to decide whether you're going to send it to them, whether you're going to read it to them, or whether you're just going to burn it up because it was something that you needed to get off your chest. Yes. And when you put it in paper, when you when you do a dump, a mental and emotional dump on a piece of paper, sometimes that in and of itself uh, resolves the deep conflict because they're able to deeply express uh, all of the the anger, the hurt, the fears, the regrets that they have uh, for that loved one that they can't communicate with them. I've even gone so far as to say, why don't you record a video? It's like with technology now, it's like record a video. And uh-huh. I've even recorded it for them while they're there, prompting them to, to say what they can't say in person. You're listening to Latinos Who Thrive with special guest, Liz Young. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. ¿Estás buscando el auténtico sabor de México aquí en Houston? No busques más que Fonda Santa Rosa, el restaurante que ha estado sirviendo deliciosa comida casera mexicana por más de 10 años. Desde fajitas de carne, mole poblano, puntas de res al chipotle, puntas de res a la mexicana, plato chipaneco, chuletas de cerdo en salsa verde, y mucho más Fonda Santa Rosa tiene algo para todos. Así que ya sea que estés buscando una comida abundante con familiares y amigos o una celebración, ven a Fonda Santa Rosa y experimenta los sabores de México aquí mismo en nuestro propio comedor. Visítanos hoy en Facebook o Instagram para ver toda la selección de platillos. Fonda Santa Rosa, donde cada comida es una fiesta. And now we return you to Latinos Who Thrive with special guest, Liz Young. There's a, I use that a lot too, Victor, and uh, I'm going to give him a resource, your, your, your audience a resource. It's called The Feelings Letter by John Gray. You can look for it in Google or whatever. Um, and it's called The Feelings Letter. And it, what I like about that letter, it was actually, a, that's the only thing that I really liked out of that book that I read. But the letter came out really nice. Um, so what he, what he said, what he uh, does is he gives you a format about the different emotions that you were just talking about. And, and it's perfect because it, it's, it serves as a gateway. What, what do I want to say? And this little format gives you that opportunity to say, okay, here it is. This is what I want to say. Do you remember the format so we can give it to the listeners? I remember oh, the format. You don't oh, so tell it because I, you know. <laughs> okay. Let me tell you where I got that from. I got that from his former wife who also wrote books. Yeah, uh, Marianne Williamson. Mm-hmm. Yes. So the format, as best as I can remember, because it's been so many years, but I've given the format to many clients over the years, is emotions tend to be layered like an onion. So you start out with the most raw, and the most raw is you're angry. Anger. So Mm -hmm. you tell the person, you write on paper what you're angry about, what specifically the person did that was a violation of your values, of you of your body is like, what is it that they did to you that angers you so much? And you continue to have this seething anger inside of you. So after anger, do you remember what comes next? I'm not sure what order, but I know it talks about hurt. Yes. Hurt is the second one. 
So what do you what do you express as far as hurt according to the format? Is I'm gonna pull it up, okay? Okay. And they, and he actually called it a is it a love letter technique? But I, I did what is a feelings letter technique? It was about let me see a feelings letter format. Here it is. Yeah, it's right here. Okay, I I feel anger and blame. I don't yes. and and this is how you say it. I don't like it when blank happened. I resent when blank happened, right? Regarding anger. I feel frustrated when something happened. I feel angry. I feel furious. I want. Then the next one is sadness. It hurts because I feel disappointed because I feel sad when I feel unhappy because I wish you say those. The next one is fear and insecurity. I feel worried. I feel afraid because I feel scared and I need. Then the next one is remorse and apologies. I apologize that I feel embarrassed that. I, I am sorry for, I am willing to. And then the last one is this one, which is I love you because I appreciate, I realize, I forgive you for, I would like, I trust. And then you just say, thank you for listening to my feelings. I love yeah. you. After you peel all the layers deep down, what you're trying to say is I love you, but there's all these barriers that keep me from opening and accepting you because of the shared history. So by clearing the air, you're able to do this. I've actually, I've even taken this technique even further, Liz, to where I have them hold hands, especially when I'm working with a couple, Mm -hmm. have them hold each other's hands. Look into each other's eyes. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and look into their eyes. And and that prompt them to tell them everything related to hierarchy in in the order that the uh, you're supposed to say the letter. And sometimes, yeah, sometimes I prod them into go ahead and say it. It's like this is your moment. This is your moment to speak up, and it's deeply cathartic. And sometimes Mm -hmm. I have to stop them and uh, take a break to lower the temperature because it's so it it you're you're bringing up a lot of repressed feelings from from many years oh yeah oh definitely oh yeah wow that's good i don't know if i could ever do that i wonder i've actually had men break down and and cry when they hear truths they've refused to accept and of course i'm an advocate for both so uh yeah so advocating for both you're able to to have the unvarnished truth communication that they avoided all their life Yes. And that brings me to something I wanted to talk to you about. The idea that a therapist in mental health, the therapist, what what the therapist brings to the formula is that they're listening without bias, without judgment. It's a sacred space for them to open up and talk about their feelings and to air out that dirty laundry that we're talking about. Right. Yes. And I think that that's, if you're a good therapist, you, you do that. You're able to do that. You know, you're able to get that person to, to feel comfortable and safe enough to trust you. Yeah, and I tell couples that if I ever lose my objectivity, I have to refer you out because I can no longer do uh, due diligence in helping you both. Listen, and I get into a discussion of what happens when you have a heavily medicated client that is referred to you. Let's take a listen. I had a client. She was making significant progress. There was deep trauma that she came to me with, uh, heavily medicated with four different medications. And of course, we never tell people to get off medication, but she was to the point that she was requesting that her medication be 
uh, scaled back. And the psychiatrist disagreed and even said, I need to increase your dosage. So she came back and I said, you know, it's time to get a second opinion. So I referred her to a more holistic psychiatrist. And of course, uh, he agreed. He scaled down the, the medication to where she got completely off medication. So wonderful. Believe me, Victor, that there is a place for medication. There, there is. is. There is. I have seen it. Okay. Absolutely. But I am not, that's not my first go-to. That yes. is not my first go-to. Best therapy is a combination of therapy and medication. You know, if you're depressed, if you're severely depressed and there's a lot of PTSD there and it's really affecting your life that you can't sleep, you're not eating, you're not functioning, you're not relating to other people, you're irritable all the time, you know, whatever. If it's real, real high, we're talking about real high stuff, then yeah, there is definitely a place for medication. Correct. But so, I also know that there's toxic psychiatry where they yes. give you too much stuff. Exactly. They want to keep you medicated and they want to keep you coming back. And all with... they're doing is numbing it. Exactly. All right. So let's move on to the next question. In your experience, what are some of the effective approaches to counseling that are culturally sensitive to the needs of Latinos? It helps a lot if um, the person is able to relate to that other person through their, through their, through their own culture where they understand the dynamics of why it's important to call your mother every day or why why you're kind of conditioned to the idea that, hey, you have get-togethers and everybody's invited. You know, you don't just invite the, the brothers or sisters that you like, but everybody gets to come to the party. Oh, yeah, no. so imagine going to an Anglo psychotherapist and telling him or her that you call your mother every day. What kind of diagnosis <laughs> are you going to get? exactly oh codependency codependency is like you we, you need to stop that <laughs> yes and and talking about that and if the mother if the if she says mom i'm not going to call you every day because my therapist says that i don't need to call you every day yes. i can just call you once a week can you imagine what the mother's reaction would be and what the mother is going to tell everyone about uh, going to psychotherapy <laughs> the mother the grandmother the, yeah you're right yeah because everything gets Talked about. Oh, yes. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the cheese must get spread around. And then, no, and then the shame that you're like, oh, so you're going to therapy, huh? Yes. I always knew you were crazy. Yes. That just confirms it. Let's talk about another topic. What about couple that goes to therapy and you find out that they really are mismatched and they're toxic for each other? And I'm going to reference Melton Erickson, one of the greatest minds of all time and is considered the father of clinical hypnosis erickson would play god which meant that if he decided that you needed to uh, break up he would break you up because he figured it was in the best interest for you to go your your separate ways how do you feel about that i want to hear your thoughts about that what was it maybe about four months ago i i it wasn't so much that they were mixed matched per se what was going on is that she could not let go of the idea that his family cared still for the daughter, the, the mother of his children, right? Because he had children. Mm -hmm. And that, that the parents, that the Hispanic parents still invited her to their home and, and had a relationship with her, yes. right? So this is a new, this is a second marriage. Second okay. marriage for both of them. And she just, she just couldn't understand it his place in the idea that he can't just let go of his dad and it was his dad 
because the mom had already died, the dad to not go to the Christmas or gatherings and stuff like that because she didn't feel that they were giving her her place. Mm-hmm. That was her. She that was the bottom line. She didn't feel that they were respecting her and giving her her place. And I I couldn't get it through her that it wasn't that at all. That it was just that they had already formed such a bond with this other woman, and she wasn't a perfect lady by any means, right? But they had already formed a bond with her, and she was the mother of their their grandchildren. And so, yeah, they were going to have feelings for her, and they couldn't just throw her out and not have her as part of their lives. Yeah, feelings are not necessarily about truth. Feelings are just about being human. Yes. You can't turn them on and off like a switch. And, and that's what, for them to stop liking her? Yeah, that's what you were trying to do, is to help her to see the humanity and, and the history there before she came on the scene. But she was stuck in the fact that this woman decided to go with another woman that was what happened and that she wanted she went ahead and had something uh that she oh she took him to the cleaners okay when, when they got divorced okay so how could how could his family still possibly like her yeah i just i couldn't get through that so it wasn't really it wasn't really a mix match or i don't know would you call that a mix match or not well it's a, a totally clash of cultural beliefs and cultural values uh, cultural values yeah absolutely yeah but uh, no I, I i can't really say that that i've seen that that severe a, a mismatch i think probably those they've already figured it out themselves and gotten divorced these are more about the couples that i see are more about you know having the communication skills that or lacking the communication skills so that's more about what i see i think when i see oh, the couple okay in your experience, how can family involvement be incorporated into mental health treatment for Latino clients? Okay, well, this we haven't talked about children, so I'm just going to talk a little bit about children. Okay. What I've noticed about the kids is that a lot of times the kids will come, the parents will bring the kid to therapy because the kid is acting out or having certain problems, certain issues, right? And really, it's not so much about the kid. But it's about the the family dynamics. Yes. And so invariably what I'll do is I'll go ahead and, yes, I'll see the kid and I'll talk to the child and I'll get the insight that I need to get from the child. But then I'll go ahead and tell the parents, I think it would be a good idea if we went ahead and came together, you know, as a as a family. And so the, the, sometimes it's other uh, siblings that wind up coming in. But that's how I incorporate the idea about the family. Sometimes in marriage, like if it's a woman that's coming for therapy herself. If I recognize and I start to see that there's a pattern where a lot of the issues that she has is it's coming from the relationship and 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 I I will invite the husband to come in. Now a lot of times the husbands don't want to do that because they feel like I'm I'm biased because yeah. I've already heard all her story and I'm like okay all right then go see somebody else. I don't mind go see somebody else. But the idea is that they do need to get uh, the issues resolved among themselves and it's not just one person's issue it's the couple's issue that's correct okay that is correct because it's a it's a family issue you're only getting a one side of the story and you're only getting a limited uh, scope of understanding how the problem is sustained and maintained to be able to uh, find solutions that again the family system is what's broken and and what is dysfunctional and only until everyone owns up to their portion of the dysfunction can the family system become healthy. Yeah. Uh, it can happen. It's not impossible, but but no. uh, getting it there. It can get better. It can get, get better. 
Yeah, getting there can be challenging. How can the wider healthcare system be made more accessible and welcoming to Latinos seeking mental health support? Uh, I think through education and through programs, um, community programs, uh, community organizations that provide therapy at a reasonable cost, or at least uh, you know, give them the the encouragement. I guess it would be, and the, uh -huh. the yeah, it's encouragement that that they try to reprogram. They're thinking that it's not a bad thing to go to therapy, that it's, and it, and it can be very helpful. So it's changing the the mindset, the mentality of it. Yes. Therapy, I guess. And I, I want to give kudos to Sandra Martinez and what she's doing uh, there in, in Houston. And um, I didn't, I never even heard of that program. So I like the idea that also like an organization like that, what is it called, Victor? It's called the Hispanic Women's Network of Texas. Yeah, I like the idea that she's getting the women, or the young women, when she's helping to mentor them when they're still young. And I think that one was called the LIP program, right? Correct. What does LIP stand for? Yes, it stands for Latinas in Progress. Okay, because that one was really, I was, oh, yeah, I was so excited when I heard about that because what a wonderful way to start a, a new generation of Hispanics thinking differently than the previous ones, you know, and we Correct. break the cycle. We're breaking the cycle that organizations like that are breaking the cycle. So if we could have more of that, wow, that would be amazing. I um, interviewed community director for those of you that are listening in Houston, the Centro, El Centro de Corazón uh, clinics. They have three clinics. This uh, group of helps people with mental health issues. They have mm -hmm psychotherapist, and one psychiatrist on staff that you can go to El Centro de Corazón here in Houston, and they they take insurance, but if you don't have insurance, they also take people on a sliding fee scale, mm -hmm. and if you absolutely cannot pay for it, they have grant money to be able oh. to help you, so that is an extremely valuable resource for people who live in Houston, and I would check in your community to find out if there is a clinic that you can go yeah, to. Yeah, we have one. We okay. have one, but it's it's over. It's like, and they, they even stay open until seven. Their last client's at seven. Okay. But um, they they have a lot of, they have a lot of people that, that wind up going. So it's kind of hard to get in there because El Paso is considering that it's such a large uh, community. We really don't have the resources. Like I would want us to have the resources. We have um, something called emergence here that also a person can go, you know, to therapy. Liz, what role do you see cultural identity playing in the mental health of Latinos? And how can this be addressed in therapy? Cultural identity. I think um, the cultural identity, I would describe that as something like, uh, we're taught maybe not to open up. We're taught not to talk about our problems. We're taught to suck it up. For the men, they're probably told something like, Amarate los huevos, which means, uh, you know, uh, what's what, what would that be a translation? Here? <laughs> uh, well, it's like uh, man up, man up, man up, and, okay, yeah. and man up. And there's no direct translation, but basically it's man up. <laughs> See, it's that's like, where the bilingualism comes yes. in. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. So they, you know, suck it up, man up. Uh, uh, a lot of times, you know, unfortunately, it's sad. This is very sad. But women um, like that are married to guys and the guys are, you know, that they are unfaithful. A lot of times, the, the unfortunately, the girl winds up marrying a guy. Her parents were, her dad was unfaithful. And then she winds up marrying a guy who's unfaithful. 
And then she talks to her mother about it. And what does the mother say? Ay, mija, así son los hombres. So basically she's saying, you know, that's the way men are. You just have to accept them. They're, they, they suck. You know, they suck. And you just have to, you just have to suck it up yourself and, and move forward. Because after all, you know, he's a good provider and, and he does this and he does that for you. And so just stick it out, just stick it out. Uh, yeah. Then the other thing I think that, that happens is um, that's, so that's kind of like generational, right? Yeah. They keep on. So what, what you would want to do then is, and that's what happens a lot of times I, when I talk to the women, I say, okay, all these things that you're doing that you don't set boundaries and that you let them walk all over you and that you let them mistreat you. I said, is that what you want to teach your daughter? Is that what you want her to see? And you know, some of these kids, they're so smart now that they'll even tell the mother, mom, you know, they'll, they'll be like, mom, why do you let them talk to you like that? You know, they'll speak up and they'll try to defend their mother instead of being the other way around. Right. Yes. Kind of sad, but I guess that also uh, relates to the idea, but it's, it's generational. Well, let me tell you, the new generations, we're talking about the millennials and now uh, Generation Y, they're getting a lot of their advice and knowledge from uh, social media like uh, TikTok. There's tons of videos on TikTok, and I've even had some clients send me uh, videos uh, to ask me about something that some, some are actually pretty good. But again, you need to you need professional help on some things because what typically happens is you generalize something and you don't know what is the context, what is the truth of something for, for you to be able to make the right decision. So that's the new generation that, that you're describing, that they, they are very knowledgeable, but sometimes a little knowledge uh, can be dangerous and that's where you need professional help. Yeah, especially if it's, uh, uh, you know, just very generalized, superficial stuff. Yes. So let's move on to something you brought up, bilingualism and language barriers that impact mental health uh, in Latinos. Well, I think sometimes when we're, when we're like what I just said earlier, you know, there is no direct English translation to some of the things that we, that we go through. What it winds up being is it winds up being, uh, especially like a, so uh, sometimes when I'm talking to my clients, I have a tendency to, okay, I speak more English than I do Spanish, right? I'm more comfortable. Let me put it yes. like that. I do speak Spanish. Don't get me wrong. I speak Spanish, but I'm just more comfortable with it. But a lot of times, so when they're speaking English to me, um, I, I give them full permission. You know, like if they say, oh, what, how do you say that? He said, say in Spanish. Tell yeah. me in Spanish. And so they'll, they'll say it in Spanish. And then I'll say, yeah, okay. I understand perfectly. I speak Spanish. I understand it. Just because I'm not talking Spanish to you doesn't mean I don't, I don't get the, 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 the lingo, you know? So I think the, that would make a big difference because sometimes things are not directly um, translated. Correct. But I use this one a lot, Victor. I'm going to tell you what I use a lot. And I, I know it has its English version, but I say, I my motto is, no hay mal porque bien no venga. Always use that, right? Sure. And um, so there's a gift behind everything that winds up happening. So I I, I like that. Whereas oh, there's a silver lining behind every cloud. Yeah, it sounds okay. But I like the way the Spanish one sounds better. <laughs> well, the, the idioms is what these people grew up with that has a deeper cultural meaning Impact. for them as opposed mm -hmm. to something superficial. 
I guess that's how I feel too. I mean, yeah, after all, I am exactly. And sometimes in my experience, while I speak uh, both English and Spanish uh, perfectly to give a clinical explanation, sometimes it's above their head to where a clinical description, they don't understand it. So I have to break it down into, into simple terms that they can understand. Mm-hmm. Or I switch to English because they can get it in English, even though they are Spanish speakers. Yes. Yes. So it's meeting the client where they are in their level of understanding and assimilation. Yeah. And finally, we get to our last question, Liz. In your opinion, what are some of the most pressing mental health concerns facing the Latino community today? Well, I already had said something about it, and that is that I don't think that there's enough, there aren't enough resources for the Latino community as far as like a There are more Latino therapists now than there ever have been. But at the same time, the the thing about it is that trying to get to them because they're busy. Uh, I've had people call, I've had people tell me, well, I've called five therapists already and you're the first one to call me back. And I was like, they must be really busy. Do you do long distance video consultations? I've done a couple. Uh Uh-huh. I have, I had a girl in Austin. Okay. I had another one in Houston. Yeah, so de vez en cuando, once in a, once in a while, yeah. Okay. But honestly, I, I, I'll be honest, for myself, I, I like to see the person. Sure. I like to feel their energy. I, I like it. I don't even like to do telehealth, okay? Because I really want to feel their essence. It's not just about their words and what they're saying. I want to see their facial expressions too. Yeah. And get their vibe. There's no substitution for in-person uh, psychotherapy because you really do pick up on a lot of things that you cannot uh, through a screen. Exactly. So I'm not sure. Did, did you want to add anything to that yourself about what you think are some I've of I've been able to do both. And again, while it has its place, it is not a solution for everybody. I tend to favor in-person but mm-hmm. I've, through the pandemic, I've, I learned to oh, have yeah. similar results uh, long distance. I even had an old, old client list from like, I'm talking like 20 years ago, maybe 25, who mm-hmm. I saw as a child uh, mm-hmm. contact me uh, because he's living in Canada. And uh, and he remembered me and looked me up and and I was able to do some video conferencing work with him. I haven't had that per se, but I have had clients that I've seen as children and they come back as adults. Yes. And then sometimes they even bring their, their kid. Yes. That's how old I am, right? That's how old I am. <laughs> that's but, how old we are. <laughs> but it, to me, you know, that's such a, that is such a nice affirmation that we're, we're helping, we're doing something right. Absolutely. You know? It made my heart warm to know. Exactly. And because he shared with me the positive impact that working with him had uh, back then and how his life improved for the better. Actually, I ended up working on the entire family. Five generations live. This Five is where, generations. Yeah, this is where we say that problems can be generational. Yeah, absolutely. Wow, that's interesting, huh? Well, and that brings us to a close. Any final words, Liz? No, not really, Victor. I think we, we covered a lot today. So we did. <laughs> we did a really <laughs> deep dive on uh, mental health and Latinos. And even some strategies, too. Yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, we, we should do a program uh, on specific techniques, strategies, uh, bibliography that you should look up, authors to follow, because that would be extremely useful, our listenership. 
you know, there is one book that I, I listened to the other day. It's an audio book and uh, it just, I, I, I'm going to give him another resource because I am a busy person and I have my practice and everything. A lot of times what I'll do is like while I'm cleaning or while I'm driving or while I'm washing dishes or making something from food, what I'll do is I'll be listening to audio, right? Yes. And the one, and you can get them for free, the audio books. You don't have to buy audible. You can get them for free on, on through the library, through a program que se llama Libby, L-I-B-B-Y. So I was listening to one that, because um, I looked up, you know, self-help, of course, that's my genre, right? And uh, one came up that's called Good Enough. And I liked the what the girl had to say. It's a woman. I liked what she had to say. It was took together a lot of, she's been doing therapy on herself for a long, long time. She's also a therapist. She's been doing therapy and she brought in all these different people that are famous uh, authors of, of the self-help books in the community. Mm-hmm. And she put it together very nicely. The only thing I didn't like is that when you have an audio book, they talk slow because yes. they tell you to talk slow. And to be honest with you, God, I thought she felt, I felt like I was listening to somebody who was high. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, and then, uh-huh, and I was like, oh my God, hurry up to talk. But you I'll can tell you, that I'm a fast talker. So hmm? I'll give you a tip. Uh, check your phone settings to see if you can uh, oh, you, can, you can speed it up. Yeah, you can you can actually listen to a book uh, one and a half times the speed to two times uh, the speed. You see, I'm not a techie at all. Oh, that's good. <laughs> that's, <laughs> Thank you. That's the new world. Liz. Welcome to the new <laughs> digital world. No kidding, huh? <laughs> All right. Well, uh, that is going to be it for today, friends. Until next time, go out and thrive.